0: Some of my favorite podcasts are those that are done clearly as labors of love, like they will never, ever, ever have broad reach, but it doesn't matter because the authors are doing it for something else, some gratification, some discussion, some sharing of the audience. And that definitely describes the Future Coding podcast and community, which is a community started by this guy Steve Krauss, who I've actually met he's the uh, (laughs) um, he's related to uh, some college friend of mine and anyway so I can't say more about that but he also recently launched uh, Val.town on Hacker News which is worth checking out Um, I I think it's still too much of a toy to be anything serious but it's a different programming model and that's kind of what the future programming community tries to do they try to innovate on programming itself and that leads to a lot of meta discussions a lot of programming language theory discussions but then also it's very accessible unlike some academic PLT discussions um, and this one is about uh, Richard Gabriel who is one of the uh, OG tech essayists um, who wrote the very famous essay worse is better if you haven't read it check it out but also introduced me to the idea that uh, he wrote two more he wrote a counter argument from definitely not Richard Gabriel and then a counter counter argument from Richard Gabriel um, and this one is about the book uh, or paper uh, on the structure of programming language revolution, also by Richard Gabriel.
1: So there's this scientific theory from the from the 1700s that is patently absurd when you look at it through a modern, you know, contemporary scientific lens of today. And this idea of incommensurability is suggesting that we shouldn't do that when we're when we're encountering an idea from a different era. We should try very hard not to look at the terms that it uses and the language that it uses and the and the and the ideas that it's exchanging with our modern definitions because if we do that we will lose a lot of the nuance and subtlety and and meaning of that older work because it's using words that are still used today but it's using them in a different way and that the meaning of these words has changed over time so much that our current understanding of what these words mean doesn't match up with how they were used back then and we might look back and see it using these words in what feels like an incorrect way and and this phlogiston phlogiston example is a little bit silly because it's it's deliberately very wrong but this is an idea i encounter all the time when dealing with like music theory or art theory or even you know computer science if you can believe it where there will be an older work that uses terminology in a way that's different from how we use that same terminology today. I, in fact, here's a great computer science example, Functional Reactive Programming, FRP. We all know that story that in the 90s, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Connell Elliott. Connell Elliott. Thank you. I was thinking Connor Oberst, singer of Bright Eyes. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first day of my life. So, singer of Bright Eyes, Connor Oberst, wrote this paper when he was at Microsoft about how sad it is that, um, (laughs) how depressing and how it makes you cry because uh, (laughs) animations were using discretized frames instead of continuous functions over the real numbers. And so he wrote this thing about if you're going to do animation, use real numbers, don't use integers, use things that can be evaluated as functions rather than like discrete measurements of data at specific frames. Right? That's what functional reactive programming means but nowadays if you talk to people about functional reactive programming they will say oh no it's this idea of like making web <laughs> uh, you know front ends and back ends that uh, are these streams and these uh, functions that you can use that take and return streams and it's these, you know, stream combinator functions. And that's what functional reactive programming means. It has nothing to do with animation and continuous real numbers rather than discrete individual frames, right? So we have two different meanings for the term functional reactive programming, such that Conor, uh, Conal, LB, <laughs> Conal LBiet, uh now says that he wishes he had used the term uh, denotative design to describe these ideas because that's closer to what he was getting at as a way of sort of saying like, look, you know, all the, all the react kids have taken my term functional reactive programming and have, have given it a new definition such that when people read the old functional reactive programming papers that I wrote, they're very confused and it doesn't make sense. And so this, this situation where the contemporary meaning of a term is different from a past meaning of the term, puts you in this position where you can read the old papers and think that they're worthless or think that they're wrong or think that they're they're poor. That's where the idea of incommensurability comes in, especially in the context of computer science, is that this mix-in paper by Braca and Cook is looking at these older object systems from Lisp and from Smalltalk and I'll leave the details of how it commits this sin for us to get into in a minute, but the sin it commits is that it has one set of thoughts about what mix-ins mean, and it looks at these old papers, assuming that they mean the same thing when they say mix-ins, and they don't. That's, that's kind of where Gabriel... Basis his argument for how incommensurability is at play here that contemporary 1990s ideas about what mix-ins means aren't matching up with the earlier 1980s and 1970s ideas about what mix-ins means That's like one of the the cruxes of this paper.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic uh, I'm glad that you read those quotes. I want to just because i'm a I'm a nerd who really likes philosophy of, of science, I actually gave a talk on Kuhn and and programming before I knew about this paper.
1: I was into incommensurability before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But I think there's another way that uh, Kuhn, we don't really see in this paper, but I actually think it's really important that Kuhn emphasizes. So you get like ridiculous sounding theories like phlogiston and caloric, but you also get theories that we think of as like approximately correct, like Newton versus Einstein, right? That like Newtonian mechanics is just an approximation of Einstein. And Kuhn wants to even tell us like, we can't do that. That to do that is actually to not understand what Newton was trying to accomplish. Newton wasn't trying to be an approximation of anything. He wasn't bracketing off, you know, things near the speed of light or with very heavy masses, et cetera. He was putting forth a total theory, right, a a complete theory. And if you actually go back and read Newton and try to pretend that it was just an approximation of Einstein, you're going to find yourself very confused, Mm -hmm. that there's going to be a bunch of stuff missing. And so I think we could also be tempted here to read the, the early Mixon papers as just an approximation of what we now know mix-ins really are. And I think that also, like instead of thinking them as ridiculous, we just think, ah, they were close. And that actually also would be to miss the substance of those papers.
1: And I think one of the things that computer science does, and this uh, Richard Gabriel paper describes this uh, phenomenon a little bit, and we'll hopefully come back to this in a a richer way in a minute Um, but in a superficial level one of the things that happens in computer science is we generally think that as time progresses the theories that emerge and the practices that emerge are encompassing generalizations of the things that came before or they're more correct or more workable or more versatile or in some way more complete that we have this sense that as time goes on, there's like a march of progress effect where later theories are able to encompass earlier theories and that we're able to sort of stand on the shoulders of giants. And so this paper from from Bracca and Cook, uh, to to take Gabriel's articulation of it, and, and to be fair, I haven't read the mix in paper, so I don't know exactly whether or not this is a charitable interpretation of what they're saying, but assuming that it is, that there are positioning their formulation of mix-ins as something that can subsume these earlier articulations from Smalltalk and from Lisp, from these earlier works. And that's a separate matter from the fact that they claim that it's the first scientific paper about mix-ins. That's a a separate dimension of presumptuousness that we will uh, drill into in a minute. But just there's this feeling that in, in computer science, like natural science, later theories are able to cover in totality earlier theories, and that is in fact not the case. And that's not the case always in natural science, as we know from Einstein's relativity versus um, uh, quantum mechanics, right? There's that need for a grand unified theory because we have these two theories that aren't total, and so we're looking for a total theory. You know, that's the exception that kind of proves the rule that in general, later theories are able to completely subsume earlier theories. And computer science being a science, makes us feel like that's also the case when in fact that is not at all the case and it's probably not even close to being the case that earlier theories and later theories are independent in part and and this is something that uh, that the incommensurability paper seems to argue in part because computer science is not a natural science natural science is about looking for this this singular truth about the nature of reality and that better theories are able to be a closer approximation of the nature of that truth and that as that science is done it doesn't actually change that ground truth whereas in computer science as the science gets done there's this interesting mix of discovery and invention, and that 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 is a huge point of debate, and I have many feelings about that, you know, how much of computer science is invented versus discovered. Um, but to the extent that any of it is invented and not discovered, later science is going to be a reflection on the materiality of computers as they exist in that moment, and that later science is going to change that material. It's going to take what we know of as the computer and change it into something new and the science that follows isn't going to be looking at this immutable computer that has existed throughout all of time it's going to be looking at the computer that is as it is now as it was changed by the earlier science and the earlier engineering and it's this constantly shifting thing and so it's sort of a mistake to assume that because we call it computer science you know with the s word that the thing being studied is as immutable as the universe that we study in natural sciences. And so that that leads us to this assumption that you know, later computer science is going to be encompassing earlier computer science, when in fact that is arguably not at all the case.
2: Yeah, and, and he puts kind of this this belief that he has about the relationship here, I think pretty succinctly. I believe engineering and science are intertwined. And for programming languages and software creation techniques, it is often the case that engineering precedes science and it's very easy to see it.
0: Kind of like that notion at the end that um, everyone tries for the ultimate truth, but then we only have approximation to, to the truth. But sometimes you have to get there by engineering and science and engineering co-evolve.